Hello, and welcome to Cage Club. Two fans, 74 movies, one cage. This is episode 44, Matchstick Men, from 2003, directed by Ridley Scott. I'm Mike Manzi. And I'm Joey Lewandowski, and I'm kind of surprised that you had never seen this movie before we started talking about it for Cage Club. I don't know how I missed this one. It's a Ridley Scott film, first of all. I'm a a pretty big fan of most of his work. It's got Sam Rockwell, who I'm a huge fan of, and it's got Nicolas Cage, who I'm obviously a big fan of. So (laughs) somewhere in the new millennium, this one just kind of snuck by me. This is a movie that I watched for the first time, I think, in college, and I loved it. And then I rewatched it, and I I knew the twist. And I was just like, eh, this isn't that great. But then this time watching it, I really, really liked it. So I don't know if it's the scope of Cage Club or just me opening my mind and like maybe coming off not thinking I was going to love it and just liking it more. But it's really enjoyable. Cage is great in it. Sam Rockwell's great in it. Allison Lohman's great in it. And it's just, it's just fun to watch. Yeah, I'll go ahead and tip my hat a little up front and, and just say that I really like this movie, and I can see it working on multiple levels, too. It could just be us, and it could be because we've seen Deadfall, and I don't know, I'm kind of familiar with movies about con artists and things of that nature, and I gotta tell you, you know, I, I called it, like, I, I just wasn't tricked by this film. However, I still found a lot about it to enjoy. I, I think if you don't figure the movie out until the movie reveals itself and then you watch it again, I could see a rewatch value to it. Yeah, even though I, I knew what was coming, I, I still liked it a lot. And yeah, especially Nick Cage's performance. Um, I just love what he's doing here. So this is another movie, and I don't know if I knew this the first two times I watched, and I definitely didn't remember for this, but this is another movie that's based on a book. And this is the kind of movie that, like, the, the movies that have been based on a book that we've done for Cage Club, let's just say that they've been hit or miss. You know, there's been movies, and I mean, the books may all be great. They're not going to adapt a bad book, probably, so there's something great in all of these original works. But the movie is based on a book, and I would love to read this book, I think, just because, like, it's, it's really kind of the movie where we get a little bit in t- inside Cage's head, not nearly to the extent that we did in Adaptation, But I would just love to see the way that he sees the world. I don't know if it's told from his perspective or a third person, but I think this would be like a really interesting book to read, maybe for your Cage Club book club that you're going to have next year. (laughs) Yeah, it's kind of cool that we're getting an adaptation after having just watched Adaptation, too. That that was kind of a cool coincidence. I knew it was based on a book that I know nothing about. I'm familiar with how movies try and get across, you know, what's going on inside of a character's head in a film based on a novel. You know, like excessive voiceover, you know, like that's one way to sort of get inside the character's head. But I think Ridley Scott did a good job directing this film in a way with his, you know, camera work and the way he sets up the language of of the film that he almost shoots parts of it from Roy's point of view from the Nick Cage character so I don't think we mentioned that he has obsessive compulsive disorder and at times the filmmaking feels like it is obsessive compulsive as well lots of jump cuts and flashy imagery and such it's really sort of fancy editing I think maybe some of the best editing in a Cage Club movie that we've seen just in terms of how it helps the story Not that I expected this to be up for lots of Oscars, because it is sort of more entertainment than art. I was sort of surprised that it wasn't nominated in in any award show for editing, that it just has a couple sort of small award show nominations for something or other. But nothing, like, I think the editing in this is so good, and I think, like you're saying, you know, really, Scott, the way that he, he, it is like a frantic kind of filmmaking, that he is sort of filming it like it's Cage's perspective, and when he's off his medication and, you know, running around the house and trying to clean up everything. It's a lot of quick cuts and him him all over the place. It's the kind of, like, sequence that on screen takes about five or ten seconds, 
but must have taken a day or two to shoot, probably, because there's so much going on. And it really, I think, does, like you are saying, work really well here. I think we saw a little bit of this with Bringing Out the Dead as well, where Scorsese was also able to sort of portray the inside of Frank's mind, you know, with, with the camera work, too. And, and Ridley Scott is good at capturing that as well. I think he succeeds with all of his style to help tell this story. Uh, I think a lot of directors try this and just aren't as successful, but, but someone like Scott is definitely in command. And it's interesting too for me i haven't seen a lot of his sort of smaller films you know and it just this has a lot less characters and you know takes place on earth in the present day so i'm not (laughs) so so, you know it's not like a gladiator in in olden days or a girl on a spaceship somewhere so so for me it was interesting to see how he told a smaller story and i i wasn't used to this sort of visual flair from him and and it was nice and unexpected it is sort of a small story and what i really like about it especially in terms of the placement here in Cage Club, it basically is the same kind of movie as adaptation, right? That it's a neurotic main character with this kind of freewheeling best friend, and they kind of have to team up to do something. I know that, that could sort of describe a lot of movies, but it feels so similar to adaptation, especially as we see inside Cage's mind, essentially. Donald from adaptation and Sam Rockwell in this movie, they're basically the same kind of guy, right? Like, they're a lot of fun to be around, don't necessarily care about the repercussions of things. They're just going to sort of live life. And Roy and Charles have a lot in common as well with their neuroses and social issues. And also in this idea that they feel like they're mentors in a way, right? Like they're these two guys who consider themselves sort of top of their field, just have a certain respect for what they do. And they're partnered up with these guys who they're just a little more wild and dangerous. Yeah, so in this movie, the two of them are con artists, and they're very clearly from the top of the movie. It's not like Sonny, where I thought he might be a con artist, turned out to be a prostitute. Like, it seems like they're running a basic con, but it's not just like a one-step con, and their con is pretty much calling up unsuspecting pretty much housewives, I would say, right? Convincing them to overspend on some kind of as-seen-on-TV gadget, like a water purifying system. Mrs. Fisk! John Goodhue, Regional Vice President. Congratulations! Which prize are you hoping for? Well, that would be my choice, too. My associate tells me you have five grandkids? Wow! Now, I understand that you'd like to speak to your husband first about this, and I can understand why, but the thing is, Irene, my secretary's having a baby this afternoon, and everyone here at the office is about to bug out and head over to the hospital. (laughs) Now, let me confirm your address so I can give it to our courier service. And then they go to the house a couple days later, after the woman has paid, and they're like, we know what they're up to, we're trying to get them, and then they make money there, too. I call this, like, a double con, almost, in a weird way. I think this just goes to show, like, how much work they put in, and they're just on a completely different level than your average sort of three-card Monty guy. They wanted you to realize these two have made this a business and have been able to sort of thrive off of this, and where most con artists might just be cold-calling housewives all day, trying to sell them, you know, a $50 water purifier for 300 bucks, they do that, and then they take it sort of a step further, cage in disguise again. They, they dress up like federal agents, I believe, and going to investigate fraud. And they go to the lady's house. They end up getting 
access to her bank account and basically they'd go around doing that and cleaning out old couples of their retirement money. I take it like that's sort of like one of their main cons that they love to pull and they're really proficient at. They basically play both sides of things, right? That they not only hit you up front for like a little bit of money, but then they swoop in and sort of really clean you out. In the first step, they send over a courier to get the check to get a little bit of money, but then they show up because it's sort of like the kind of job that they need to do. Like they can't train somebody to do it. You know, they're there with their faces. So, I mean, you would imagine, like, within a day or two, that couple's going to check their bank account and be like, oh, we have no money. It has to be these guys. But by that time, they're already gone. It's a very bold plan. It seems to work really well. I mean, they, they later they cut to the bank where they have the safety deposit box, and it is just filled to the brim with cash. Like, they are very successful at what they do. Yeah, they're, they're able to sort of rent out, like, a office space as well, you know, and, and Cage has, like, this big stash at his house, too. And I think it just goes to show they're at the top of their game, and neither of them have, like, these deep morals about who they're robbing. Cage puts it one way where he says, you know, I get them to just give me their money. I think that they're so successful at what they do because they kind of know their limitations, that they're not going for, like, these big whales. They're perfectly content getting these like small to mid-level cons and slowly accruing their fortune. Mm. Really early in the movie, Cage even says to Sam Rockwell, he's like, I don't do long cons. And Sam Rockwell says, well, not lately you haven't. I saw a guy again last night. Chuck. Guy was telling you about guy with the, uh, with the boat. Yeah, for shit. Man, he's top heavy. Oh, Jesus Christ, right? Hey, don't say that. Don't say what? You know what. You just don't say it. It's real money, Roy. It's real money. It's long con. I don't do long con. Well, you haven't done it lately. Without me, Frank. He's not trying to back out of the con artist scheme, but he's kind of trying to lay a little bit low to make sure that they don't get busted for something and go to jail just because they their their eyes were bigger than their stomachs or something. Because what they do is so brazen, he wants to keep it quick and keep it short and kind of get in and get out, right? Like he even one of his rules is to go out of town to pull a con, right? That way you don't walk into someone who might recognize you or anything like that and perhaps like a a long con just takes too much sort of attention you know it just directs too much attention towards you with the mark and over time he thinks goes south he'll be able to point you out i also get with his disease and everything or with his affliction having ocd he just he needs something that he might be able to control a little better a long con just might just have too many variables for a guy like him at this moment too we even see he, he he kind of runs into trouble pulling off their scam in the beginning right like the couple sort of just opens up the window and he sees like all the dust and all the germs and and he starts to lose it and barely they barely get out of there in the first place so just hearing hearing sam rockwell mention a long con felt like a clue to me you know if you heard that and know what that is pay attention what i really like about the dynamic between these two is that Sam Rockwell has sort of seen all this before. It seems like he's seen Cage at his darkest, and he knows how to talk him through it. That really early in the movie, Cage is cleaning, and he accidentally knocks his pills down the drain. These pills that he's getting illegally just to help him with his OCD, because he hates talking to shrinks, and so he's going to get the pills, however. So he knocks them down the drain, and he sort of goes into this downward spiral. And Sam Rockwell is sort of this easy, breezy character. He's been there before. He's seen Cage have these kind of breakdowns, and he knows just sort of give him time, keep calling, let him know that he's there, and like whenever Cage is ready, you know, Sam Rockwell. So I, I really like their dynamic there. Cage is sort of able to keep doing what he's doing because Sam Rockwell is so understanding because he knows how to handle Cage. You looking for something, sucker? Mm. Yeah. 
My partner, have you seen him? He's been missing most of the week. Tall, good-looking guy. Hey, would you watch the road? You're spilling food in... What? You didn't take your shoes off. Okay, okay, I'm taking the shoes off. Okay, buddy. I'm taking them off. See, they're off. The shoes are off, okay? There you go. Oh, man, you are bad. You shake your pills? I spilled the drink by accident. Oh, Roy, come on, man. Did you call me a Cuso? Moved. You gotta be shitting me. That's what I said. They have a very close sort of kinship. They're these two thieves who are sticking together, got each other's back, and are kind of each other's support in a lot of ways, you know what I mean? And they really do need to trust each other on a deep level if they want to con all these people, you know? And I see them as like this duo, like a Batman and Robin or like bad guys. And yeah, and it's just really nice the way they set up their friendship. It's an honest one, and it's like this solidarity, and that's everything, you know? And Sam Rockwell comes into his house, and like at first he sort of is joking he's rubbing the phone on his butt and like keeps his shoes on but then he's like no man like relax breathe into a paper bag and try and calm down there was even a point in this film i thought they might have been related cousins brothers something distant i wasn't sure i'm definitely getting that here and i'm trusting sam rockwell's character too we're gonna spoil the movie so we might as well say it up front that this whole movie sam rockwell is setting cage up for a long con so everything basically that we see in this entire movie is sam rockwell behind the scenes pulling the strings and getting Cage to eventually basically give up all of his money and, and let Sam Rockwell get away scot-free. I think that it's important that they set up Sam Rockwell as such a trustworthy character. We need to trust him because Cage trusts him so implicitly. It's only because of this trust and this trust that we have or that we see or that we come to understand from Rockwell that we are able to like let ourselves be duped because he just seems like a great guy. Like He's there for Cage. He's there to help him when he needs help. Why would he ever hurt his best friend other than you know to make away with several hundred thousand dollars and take the big shot when he could get it? Yeah, exactly. I saw him as a guy who wants to help his friend at his weakest point, not not take advantage of him, you know? <laughs> and that's a, another thing. I just don't feel like Nicolas Cage's character, Roy, with his OCD, like, it is really severe at times, like, crippling. Can't go outside. He got he has, like, agoraphobia and things like that if he doesn't get his pills. So, yeah, I didn't think he would be in on it at this point. It wasn't tipping me off that the wheels in his head are like, oh, he lost his pills. Like, that's my chance, you know? <laughs> like, my chance is here to take advantage of my mentor. It's almost like they're Sith like evil jedi right like he's taught me everything he knows and now i'm gonna destroy him and like <laughs> and when i started to put it together i was like oh this is one diabolical guy you know not his friend at all no way to really pay him back for teaching him everything he knows so once you see the depths of cage's mental issues it, you really come to realize just how dark sam rockwell is part of this long con is that sam rockwell hooks him up with a psychiatrist that cage's normal drug hookup is out of town can't get the drugs from him and so he doesn't want to talk to a shrink, but he talks to a shrink nonetheless. It's this guy, it's part of the con, it's somebody that Sam Rockwell paid to be in on it. But you see him in there, in supposedly a trustworthy environment. He's suicidal, he had a wife who left him, hasn't had a real relationship in years. He talks about wanting to kill himself. Before he can even sort of process that, he worries what like the brain matter will do to his carpet. He's so damaged and so broken, it makes Sam Rockwell manipulating him this whole time that much darker. Look, Doc, I spent last Tuesday watching fibers on my carpet. And the whole time I was watching my carpet, I was worrying that I, I might vomit. <clears throat> and the whole time I was thinking, I'm a grown man. I should know what goes on in my head. And the more I thought about it, the more I realized that I should just blow my brains out and end it all. 
But then I thought, when I, well, if I thought more about blowing my brains out, I started worrying about what that was going to do to my goddamn carpet. Okay, so <laughs> that was a good day, Doc, and, and I just want you to give me some pills and let me get on with my life. Yeah, and when the movie opens, we see him sort of like getting ready for the morning, and we see how calm and calculated and clean he can really be when he's under control. And this scene at the doctor's office is just like he is at his absolute worst. You know, it's a miracle he got there in the first place. The doctor is great. Like, I feel like Sam Rockwell's character, Frank, went out and found a real psychiatrist to get in on this gig. What's so strange about it is Roy ends up getting good therapy out of all this in a weird way from being in a from what he thinks is a open and safe environment is just allowing him to open up for the first time deal with things and you know get to the bottom of stuff and i found that kind of interesting it's like he needed a dose of his own medicine in a way to kind of get cured in the end it is kind of weird how he does get real therapy even though sam rockwell is going to take everything from cage he's going to eventually introduce this girl that's supposedly Cage's daughter, and then take her away in the end. It's through all of this that Cage kind of gets the help he needs, that he gets out of the life. Maybe all it took was getting out of a con artist's life. It, whatever the actual cause and effect is, it's the psychiatrist actually genuinely trying to help him within the scope of this long con that does wind up helping him. I wonder if it's some kind of comment on therapy going on here. I don't know, but I've never been in therapy. But one kind of thing I thought was really interesting is how Nick Cage depends on people, strangers, to immediately trust him in order for him to pull off his cons, you know? And that's what's happening here. He's immediately trusting this stranger. He should sort of see the road signs. Like, this is where I'm sort of starting to see the signs going okay, like, I have a strong suspicion that Sam Rockwell set this up, but it's just, like, so elaborate at this point. I'm not sure how he got it together and did it. And so, I mean, it ends up not being as important to me. Yeah, I'm definitely thinking about, like, it's just, like, that's so strange, like, you know, that whole trust thing. The level of complexity here is such that he must have been planning this for a long time, and he must have had this psychiatrist sort of on retainer, that he must have had all these different people, the big mark that they're going to take down, he must have been in on it, like, sort of all waiting for Rockwell's call. When Keech went off his meds, or whenever, whatever opportunity presented itself, he called and was like, all right, let's go, like, we're going to have this ready. But, like, the linchpin, like, the key, the most important part to all this is that through these therapy sessions, Cage comes to terms that he might have a daughter or a son out there, that by this point they'd be, like, 14 years old. Whether that's causing his issues or not, it's an unresolved past with his wife that he doesn't know if she had a kid, if he's a father, all this different stuff. Through the psychiatrist, he comes to learn that he does have a daughter. It's this girl, Angela, played by Allison Lohman. It's Cage and Rockwell, but then all of a sudden it becomes the three of them. They're kind of like this little crime trio. It's a great father-daughter relationship. It's, it's sad in the end that it's not, they're not actually father-daughter. This relationship between Cage and the daughter is, I think, the far and away the best in the movie, like my favorite part of the movie. I'm not sure if you're familiar with the film Paper Moon. It stars the O'Neills, Ryan and Tatum O'Neill, father-daughter acting duo. It's about a guy with this little girl who may or may not be his, and they go out and they're con artists, you know, they're matchstick people. Um, and I feel like this is almost an update of that in a little bit of a way, or at least like an homage to it. And I, I really love this dynamic. She's like a breath of fresh air you didn't even realize the movie needed. Like, I was all ready for Sam Rockwell to rock his way through this movie, or <laughs> for him and Cage to sort of have like this dueling, you know, actor. 
acting going on throughout the film. But yeah, she comes in and she kind of like steals this film in a, a little bit for me. One thing about her character, though, we know now that she's not really 14. And it's just cool to see how they try to dress her down, you know, and like how she kind of acts like a 14 year old might. And I just kept thinking, you know, Roy would see through this in a second if he just wasn't so sort of blindsided by all of this. You know, it's like he really wants to believe this so much, like feels like he needs this to be real. And it's just interesting how he's never been one to let his guard down. And here's the second person within almost as many days where he's going to do exactly that. So now what's really interesting about Alison Lohman is that when she auditioned for the role, she pretended she was 14, and Ridley Scott had no idea that she was 22 when they shot this movie. He had no idea until she told him that she was actually like almost 10 years older. That she auditioned as a 14-year-old, got the part as a 14-year-old, and then I guess was like, oh, hey, by the way, I'm 22. She has like a really kind of petite physique, and she has like a young face. It's so, it's just weird, but it works. And you're right, like, Roy should see through this, Kate should see through this, but this is his big fear, and he's come to terms with, okay, this is my new reality, I'm a father, I have a daughter in this city, I'm going to be the best father that I can be. Kate starts off acting like he thinks a father should be, and then by the end of the movie, before he inevitably has his heart broken, he's sort of acting as a father. You know what I mean? It's like he's, he's like putting on an act... And then as he spends time with her, like, sort of learns how to be a dad. Yeah, there's a little bit of sort of, like, family man, like, growth going on there, I felt, where, yeah, at first he's just, like, you said, like, pretending almost to be a dad, and then this is what he actually wants. It's really strange. Like, he finds himself caring for her and falling for, like, hook, line, and sinker, right? (laughs) Like, that too, which is, that to me is like, oh man, like, that's heartbreaking to watch at points in this film, just knowing that this whole time he's being taken advantage of like that. There's a moment at the end that I think of now where we're talking about it, but it almost feels like she's getting something out of it too, to a degree, right? Like, I think there was a moment in this movie where I was like, well, maybe she's not in on it with Sam Rockwell. Maybe she's in on it on her own or maybe she's having doubts and things like that because there's times where i'm like well he's starting to believe this and she's actually might start to believe this too maybe she's not going to go through with it it is heartbreaking to watch at times because they do bond really quickly like the first time that they sort of meet up and they go out for hamburgers cage kind of gives a little bit of cage advice he's like the most important thing you can do is stay in school he's kind of opening up to her a little bit and she learns that he's a criminal i mean she knows within the con of the movie she knows what he is and what he does but he doesn't know that she knows It's like a false sense of acceptance because she already knows everything. It's not like she has to come to terms with this. But it's so cute and just so nice and sweet. They just, like, work well together. And I know it's all artificial, which is a real gut punch at the end. Just seeing them together, like, knowing what's coming, it makes it that much more sad and depressing. Yeah, I almost thought at times of Hit Girl and Big Daddy, you know, and we got that coming up later. Cage and Angela, like, they make a really great team you know and like i'm rooting for them and it's like adaptation in its complexity to a degree with her character you know with what she knows and the role she's playing and this like you say this this false reality and everything going on however she does know that she's sort of going to get some advice along the way by this master con artist and everything having kind of figured it out like she's part of the con i'm wondering you know is she sticking around and trying to form this bond to learn from the master maybe or you know or 
is she genuinely going to end up liking this guy because of his reputation and, you know, the things that he knows and stuff like that. So there's almost like this weird, while she even knows she's conning this guy, I, I feel like she's got like a lot of respect for him and stuff like that. You know, like it might not be as easy for her as it is for Sam Rockwell. We never really find out. I get the sense that this is kind of the only job she ever did because at the end of the movie, we see her like a year later and she's sort of out of the game, right? You don't necessarily know for sure whether she's out of the game or whether she's lying in a cage, but it seems like a genuine moment. I don't know where Sam Rockwell would have gotten her from. I I sort of get the sense like it almost could have been a different movie, right? That she's in on this con and then she kind of not falls in love with Cage, but likes him as a person so much, sees like he's, he's this genuinely sweet guy, even though he is a con artist, that she says to him, hey, like we're in on something, Like let's get you out of here. It almost sort of reaches that point. Like That's not this movie. Their relationship seems so genuine that that kind of turn doesn't seem too unbelievable. And I think that's what sort of helps keep the mystery to people who haven't figured it out. It could definitely be a movie about this con artist who finds his real daughter, you know, after 14 years and sort of gets her involved in his line of work. And then that gets everybody into a whole lot of trouble. And I think that might be the movie people, a lot of people thought they were watching. And that would have been a good movie too, without the so-called twist ending if no one was trying to rob anybody and this doomed relationship just ended up sort of ruining everyone's life at the end the movie that we actually get it feels like the only person whose life should be ruined is cage but even he comes out better in the end so what could have been a movie where everybody gets unhappy and sort of it ruins everybody it kind of makes everybody better right makes sam rockwell rich and he's off to do whatever he's gonna do it gives Allison Lohman this new world perspective, and it kind of gets Cage out of his funk. It sort of clears up his potential daddy issues in terms of he doesn't actually have this daughter. In like a weird way, like it took losing it all, right, to for him to actually find happiness. Yeah, I take it at the end that he's pretty much cured. He's selling carpets, you know? He's out of the criminal game. He's not a con artist anymore. It took sort of him going through this, you know, cathartic event. Even though it was a ruse, it was something that he needed, you know, something to change him. Like he says, give him a new world view or different look at things from a different perspective. And just getting done to him what he has done to so many people. Like I said earlier, sort of just getting that taste of his own medicine, not that that's all he needed, but that was just like a big deal for what he needed to sort of cure himself. Like, he needed a reason to get out of the game, and he kind of got the best reason available. So before he gets out of the con artist game, he teaches basically teaches Allison Lohman how to be a con artist, but it's not like what he wants to do at first. That he's still sort of stuck in his ways, and this is part of his evolution, right? And she comes over and kind of surprises him, and they have this big con planned that they have this whale, and it's all part of Rockwell's long con. It's sort of a con within a con, a little bit of conception. (laughs) And the con that Cage is in on is that there's like this exchange program where they're able to swap money. It's, It's really kind of a basic con, and I feel like a con we may have seen in another Cage Club movie, or very common, you make them a little bit rich up front, and then when it comes time for the big one, after you've built up his trust, you swap briefcases and take away with both briefcases you get you get all the money in the end cage is supposed to meet up with sam rockwell to hook this guy for the first part alison loman shows up and kind of throws a monkey wrench into the plans like he doesn't have time for her yet in his life and it's just kind of funny to see him trying to balance 
this criminal mastermind work environment with now all of a sudden he's a dad. Yeah, it's like the worst bring your daughter to work day possible. (laughs) He's got to pull off like this intricate setup. You know, this is just like one part of like a multi-part con that they're going to have to go through with this dude. He's got to sort of think on his feet in a way. The only thing he could think of is like use her to help in what they're doing. And it's just he's doing what he doesn't want. He's being a bad father, setting a bad example, but he also doesn't want to involve her rightfully. Like it's not just a bad influence or criminal behavior or anything like that. Sam Rockwell isn't really too pleased with her either. And that's why at this moment, I was like, maybe they've got their own separate kind of agendas or they're against each other. or She did something to upset him or something else is going on. I love the way they play it. And I don't know if we mentioned enough sort of Nick Cage's physical performance in this film. In adaptation, he approached Charles and Donald differently just in the way that he would walk or stand and sort of sit or just all different things with his manners. And in this one, Nicolas Cage keeps up like a marathon of facial tics and noises and all kinds of very intense OCD type behaviors. It manifests itself in all the most inconvenient ways that sort of for the second movie in a row, he's unable, he's uncomfortable talking to women. He's in love with the checkout girl (laughs) at the grocery store. Just like an adaptation, just in like a lot of movies recently, I think, she's totally into Cage, and he just, like, whether he doesn't have the confidence or doesn't have the words or the experience or whatever, he's facing a roadblock, he's not able to talk to her. And even if she's just talking to him, like, as a friendly person, he just can't keep up, like, a human-to-human interaction. That's really kind of what he gets the most from Angela. When they eventually go back to the grocery store together, the next time he goes there, he goes to the grocery store a lot, the next time, like, it sort of opens up this world that Angela's not only making him more more confident, but sort of giving him a way to talk to this woman. He's just able to do things better from her, both directly and indirectly. Yeah, I feel like he's found someone who accepts him sort of unconditionally, like this is his kin, you know? In a way, she kind of has to love him. In the back of his mind, maybe he's holding on to that thought in a way. And she becomes this type of security blanket for him. Like he's got those crazy tics and, and, and stutters and things, but when she's with him and when he knows she's sort of waiting in the car or pulling off part of the con with them, he is in control. You know, he doesn't need his meds. Like we even find out that the fake doctor was giving him fake medication that really ended up helping him sort of placebo effect but she in a way becomes like the substitute for the pills her around her accepting him him being able to pass on advice in in a way you would to your child is helping him and i like that it's not really his choice right he's sort of like forced upon this she says oh mom called but like i can stay here for another three or four days right he doesn't really have a choice it's almost like forced medication he doesn't think it's helping him but he's just being exposed to her and has no choice but to sort of tolerate her and learn how to interact with her and learn how to deal with her and just keep her around yeah it's like he didn't even know he needed it that's just like a whole other level i think about this movie on how it just kind of happened as a byproduct of something that had very malicious intent right like this whole thing was to put one over on him which happens but in the end he comes out a better person for it you know it's kind of interesting it's just messed my head that way i wasn't expecting it to be that complex now that he has to deal with her this is when she becomes a con artist like all along in reality she already is a con artist But this is how he begins to teach her. And he's talking about how simple is safe and sort of start small. We've talked about it several times, especially we know with Deadfall. It's kind of like Sawyer in Lost teaching the women in his life 
how to be a con artist. Start small. Here's like a way to get a couple hundred dollars. Like real low risk. This is how we're going to con this poor sweet lady at the laundromat. We're going to go buy a lottery ticket, make it seem like it's the winner, get half the money. It's like starting small to build up to something. It's kind of like their relationship almost, right? Like they're, they're starting small and eventually building into something bigger and great. Oh, that's yeah. That's a great way to look at it. The way all I kept thinking about was how this is the deadfall mixed with the Family Man because we got the Lotto scam and it's kind of a a pigeon drop as well. (laughs) So I just had all of this imagery from other films running through my head. But you're right. Like she is like a natural, right? And he kind of perceives her as a chip off the old block. Their bonding is sort of in full swing now and there are he's not really thinking of any of the negative implications because he's feeling good you know and he's happy and it's good to see him happy because we saw him suffer so hard early on in the movie and she seems to be getting stuff out of it too i mean it was hilarious like when they go bowling and call back to bowling family man again racing with the moon as well their relationship is evolving he's bonding with her and like their relationship is evolving but he's also bonding with the mark and I know that's all part of something, you know, something bigger. He's able to talk to the guy that they're going to take for $80,000 about now how he has his daughter. Everything in this movie, and I don't know if it's Rockwell's master plan working to perfection or if it's a lot of happy coincidences, <laughs> but it seems like everything is kind of falling into place. Through his relationship with Allison Lohman, he's able to talk to the grocery store clerk. He's able to talk to this Mark. He's able to improve himself. I don't think that Sam Rockwell necessarily is some kind of philanthropist. Like, I don't think he's helping Cage try to get better. He's just trying to get this money and leave town. It's kind of weird just how much he's helping him in the end. Yeah, Sam Rockwell is like a Joker-level criminal genius in this movie with all of his planning. It's just remarkable. It's cool how he plays this all as well, you know? Like, even the their mark within the their con within the con like he he's all part of it so when he brings up the daughter like oh my daughter and then you know that sets off cage to go oh my daughter and then you see rockwell like what was with all this daughter crap man like what are you talking about like that wasn't part of like the script sam rockwell is just like really good in this role and it's just a really tough perspective to get across you know like you're not supposed to know he's in on it and yet there are these little kind of clues that he's dropping here and there at this point again is just deeper and deeper into this con and seeing nick cage you know he's like okay like because uh i'm feeling good i know my daughter now like yeah i'll go in with this long con with you you know what like let's set up this fat bastard and like let's take him for all he's got so like it's really cool to see sam rockwell see his plan working anyway to the business at hand to the business at hand i have one rule chuck simple is safe i'm gonna tell you as little as possible about me and what i do but as much as i need to to make you comfortable with what we're doing what are we doing Five thousand pounds sterling. One of the perks of working in the exchange program at a bank. Who is it? No one's in particular. Just a little money, unaccounted for, floating on top of the books like a layer of cream. And he just scoops it off. Well, it's a little more. <laughs> it's a little more complicated than that. But again, simple is safe. Why not keep the money yourself? As a bank employee, any attempt I make to change currency is recorded and questioned. Bob has a has a record. You, on the other mm-hmm. hand, no one bats an eye. Now, I hope you have something for me. Five grand American. Congratulations. At today's exchange rate, you just made $2,567. Looked it up on the internet. He's fast. (laughs) (laughs) That internet thing, that's a fad. I can't figure it out. 
you know, like this is not the way that Sam Rockwell thought it was all going to play out, but it almost is playing out better than he could have ever hoped. That this is sort of like the perfect con. It's working perfectly. I sort of wish we had like Sam Rockwell is in the movie a decent amount, but he's not in it a lot. I kind of wish, and I mean, it doesn't make sense within the narrative of this movie, but I kind of wish we saw his perspective where we could just be like, what the hell is going on? Like, where, why is everything like, I can't believe everything is working so well. Like, I think it would be interesting to see that kind of look at it. Yeah, I was a little upset we didn't get a little glimpse of him a year later, maybe in a a flashback of Angela's, uh, something like that. He's great in this. I I wish there was a little more of him and it would have been funny maybe just at the end. We get like a voiceover at the end of a letter he leaves to Roy kind of saying, you know, like, hey buddy, I took you. I took you for everything. You know, I saw an opening and, and I grabbed it it would have been funny maybe to see him writing that note cut to him driving off with the money sort of flying out of the trunk as he drives down some desert highway somewhere in a red sports car i don't know dear roy you're probably pretty upset i don't blame you you taught me most of what i know so i suppose i owe you better than this but you always told me if i ever got a shot at a big score i should take it and that's what i did <laughs> Sorry about the sap on the head, by the way, and for everything else. You always said guys like us can't afford to have regrets about what we do. That's going to be a little harder for me, but I'll manage. If it makes any difference, you're the best I ever saw. I'd never find a better partner, and now I won't have to. I love you, man. Frank. P.S. Enjoy the gift. I was just thinking red sports car. I mean, he has to be driving a red sports car. Yeah. It's through this bonding with Angela and teaching her how to be a con artist that really saves them in the end, at least in terms of the the movie that we think we're watching. They get to the airport. They're about to make the big $80,000 switch. Sam Rockwell kind of messes up. He's got the guy on the wrong side of the table. He's able to swap spots. It's Angela that causes the distraction that gets the guy to look away and swap the briefcases. Again, sort of going back to what we were just talking about, I don't know if this is part of Sam Rockwell's plan, if it's a happy accident. It almost seems like it's too well orchestrated in terms of her being caught on the video camera, in the convenience store, buying Cage the gift. It seems like everything's working a little bit too well, but it also kind of, like, it all makes sense in terms of the movie that we're watching if we sort of put aside for a second that it's all some master plan by Sam Rockwell. And I also think that there's just some variables that you can't consider, and he's considered that as a good con artist. There's just things going on that you're not going to be able to control, and you have to sort of adjust on the fly. I think he realizes he sort of maybe needs to speed this up or adjust this a little here and there because maybe she'll spill her guts to Roy and they'll go off together or turn on him. I I get a sense that when he sees sort of how close they've gotten that he feels a little threatened but for real like not playing it off as part of the con but like i get the sense that is he just like found a new protege like am i yesterday's news is is that what's happening there's a very interesting dynamic like after this whole airport escapade and it's great how far in the fake mark is too like i love how he chases him through the parking garage and everything like that like that's a really tense moment for me i was like oh my god I i didn't think he was in on it until the very very end i was like oh shit like they're gonna get caught because like this is an actual con going on during the long con yeah it's at this point in the movie where like a lot of the tension ramps up right that they have the guy chasing after them through the parking deck 
we don't have a car with a python on it and, a, and you know like another rival gang <laughs> chasing us through but we have an overweight man who just got scammed out of $80,000 seemingly dead set on beating the shit out of Cage and getting the money back we also find out that Angela was arrested earlier in her life for shoplifting and kind of resisting arrest it's almost like a snap back to reality for Cage to be a con artist to do what he's doing this is not the kind of job like this is too big of a mark he didn't really want to do this kind of job to be successful at like what he's been doing and who he's become, he kind of can't have the distraction of this 14-year-old girl. And she gives him a little trinket that she bought, this little stupid dog ashtray that she bought at the airport gift shop. That like little tiny moment of kindness is almost enough to sort of be like, like, what am I doing with my life? I don't want to place too much value on that ashtray, but, like, she hands it to him just like, oh, well, like, here, like, I'm, I'm leaving, but, like, I got this for you. Like, I hope you enjoy it. Like, I'm, I'll never see you again. And it's just like that little thoughtful moment, which I guess if you look at the big picture was part of Rockwell's plan, that is enough for Cage to sort of change his ways forever. Yeah, I feel like her part of the con is almost the emotional side, you know, like we got to play his emotions. There was that scene early on when she sneaks back in late at night, you know, and he goes into like full on dad mode and he's like, "Uh, what are you sneaking out for? And she's sort of like, where have you been for 14 years and all this and storms out and lays like this big guilt trip on him. And he's like, oh, you're right. You're right. Like, come back. Come back. Listen, I'm glad I met you. I'm glad we met. I really am. But. But, but I've got a business, and I've got a partner, and, and I've got things a certain way, and, and that's it. So, you know, I think it'd be better for you, most of all, if tomorrow morning I took you back home. What did I do wrong? You didn't do anything wrong. I just went out. God, I didn't even, I didn't drink, I didn't get high. I didn't take any money from your stupid dog. So what, you never heard of a bank? Uh... Uh, that is wrong what you did, and uh, you're a nosy Parker, and, and 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 that's no way for a young lady to behave, and uh, shame on you! And, and I feel like that's sort of one of her powers to sort of break him down emotionally so he's distracted with everything that's going on. He, he kind of has these blinders on. She really works him into that engagement, you know, like wanting to be a better person because of her, you know, wanting to get to know her better. And she really puts the knife in and twists it hard with that little stupid dog ashtray because we see just like very briefly, like he he collects little dog things and it's just like the only thing in his apartment and stuff. It's like to him, he's like, oh shit, she gets me, you know, like she wants to be part of my world. That's all she was trying to do. I feel like he's thinking I, I can only be father or con man now, right? Like that's sort of what I feel like he's decided at this moment like he he wants to go quit and tell sam rockwell he's out and it's just like yeah i can't balance these two worlds one little slip up and look what can happen some crazy guy will skip his flight to the islands and come chasing after you through a parking garage trying to kill you you know like it's just too dangerous to involve your daughter and for all the good that she's done him and all the good that she's sort of helped him come back to being i guess probably the guy he was before he lost his wife this guy without all these compulsions when she leaves, he kind of loses everything. He starts falling apart, like he can't get a hold of his shrink on the phone, he can't get more pills, he goes to the pharmacy and has this, like, huge cage freakout. Hi, I need a refill of this. I don't have a prescription. Sir, please wait your turn. I know, I know, but this is an emergency. Hey, buddy, ever heard of a lie? Hey, have you ever been dragged to the sidewalk and beaten until you pissed blood? Listen, I'm sorry, I I really need... Thank you, yes, thank you. Thank you. 
Yeah, I, I, I need a refill of this. Do you have a prescription? Well, no, but see, my, my doctor, my shrink, he gave me these, and they're, they're samples of... Darn it! I, I can't remember the name. It's, oh, Prefix. Prefix something. I, I'm, I'm sorry, sir. Without yes. a prescription, there's nothing in but, your... Okay, but you see, I, I have the package. Wait, sir. So I'm clearly allowed to have them. Now, I just need four or five of them to cover me for the weekend. Let me see it. Thank you. And I am sorry, sir. These are supplements. What? This packet contains supplements, sir. No, no, no. My doctor gave those to me. They're, they're prefect. They're supplements, sir. The bullshit, man! Prefects! Supplement. Prefects! Aisle four, prefects. sir. The world kind of comes crashing down. Like, everything was going well, and then he gets in, like, one little fight. It seems like, in his world, the only person he ever really interacts with is Sam Rockwell. And Sam Rockwell sort of seems willing to sort of roll with the punches and be there for whatever happens. So to have this girl in his life, to have this other person suddenly be mad at him, it's like he doesn't know how to handle it. It crushes him. And it's amazing that his fake shrink gives him some pretty good advice, you know? Like, this is where he finds out that his prescription was just for a supplement. It wasn't even real medicine. The doctor's like, this is small-time neuroses. It's your conscience, you know? It's your job. Taking advantage of these people is getting to you. Subconsciously, it's created these tics and this nervous disorder. And, And he basically says, you think you set, like, this example as a con artist being the best and abiding by these rules and using a code and all that and he's like do that as a father set an example for your daughter and be a real person and it's just crazy that this guy is saying that while he knows he's helping to just like wipe this guy out of all of his money like it's just so weird the levels that this is is working on I wasn't expecting like I said multiple times I just wasn't expecting that from this film I don't think part of the plan was for Cage to find out that he was taking placebos, right? Like you mentioned earlier, the the shrink is just prescribing him placebos. The plan was to not have him find out and that by the time that Sam Rockwell had cleaned him out, he'd still have pills or whatever. The shrink is so good at what he does, he's like, oh, of course I was prescribing you placebos because you don't need medication. When really, like, he probably does need medication. He needs some kind of help. And so I just like that the, the shrink is sort of quick enough on his toes. It adds into this great master plan. Everybody is just so good at what they do. Even when Cage is about to find out like, he starts to see, like, a crack in the armor. He's basically told, no, no, like, you're not crazy. Like, I have been doing that. Like, don't worry about it. Like, everything's fine. The Shrink himself is, like, a phenomenal con artist because, like, he understands just as well that there's going to be these variables that you can't control. And I, I also agree. I have a feeling that him running out of his pills was, like, an, an oversight. And, yeah, it's so cool how it just sells it for me. Like, I actually thought he was, like, a real shrink. for the Like, he was the one guy where I flip-flopped the most on where I was like okay like he can't be in on it well he could be in on it but he's got to at least be a real shrink because of what he's doing and it's just really cool to see like everyone on their game and and everyone pulling this off and man we've come a long way since Eddie Joe and Diane from Deadfall Uh, these guys would take those guys for just like everything they're worth (laughs) it's almost unfair to compare this to Deadfall because it's just like another class of movie but this is not necessarily the most well-made movie But it's like competent people doing things in terms of the characters and also competent people behind the scenes actually making like a watchable movie. It all works and like there's an actual like coherent story here. This is at the point like after he has the the freak out, the breakdown with the shrink, he comes to terms and like he finally meets back up with Angela. And this is kind of like almost a final kind of twist, right? Like that she sort of has to get back in his good graces. He basically says, you know, like like, this is it. Like I've had enough. He's going to go clean. 
this is all he needs, and like he's sort of clearing his palate, clearing his conscience, only to basically be gut-punched by the, the biggest twist in the movie that's about to come up. Yeah, he wants joint custody. He, he's like, I'm going to talk to your mom, we're going to sign some papers, go in front of a judge, but, you know, it's what I want if you want it. That's just nuts. Like, it's just nuts, like, how completely he believes all this and just makes it more of a heartbreak later on. And I, I love the way Cage is playing it too, man, because he's just super sincere at this time. You know, he's like, I'm going to quit the con artist game get a real job he goes and tells frank and i thought frank took it a little too well but then again he did give frank his 40 g's his half of that airport scam he's gonna be full-on family man and he sort of becomes a family man right and he and angela are talking about how they can get a dog and they can name it after sam rockwell and they're having this like adorable (laughs) moment and they get back to cage's house and you see sam rockwell beaten and bloodied in a chair and the guy that they just took for eighty thousand dollars has a gun on cage. It sort of makes sense. Like this, like this movie has like a lot of kind of different endings and a lot of ways it could go, and they all make sense. Like they all fit in terms of what's been happening. This guy who just got robbed eighty thousand dollars knows who these people are, has connections. You know, if you're if you're that willing to like get eighty thousand dollars and sort of break the law and fly private to the Cayman Islands, like you probably do know connections that can get you security footage. So it all does make sense. He wants his money back, and he also, what does he say? He wants half of everything they make. This is sort of where I was like, all right, here's another variable that no one accounted for. I didn't think that this guy, like I said, was in on it at this moment. I thought he just actually, you know, tracked her down because they mentioned she has a record. She could have a mugshot. She wasn't supposed to be in the airport, and she went to the gift shop. Like, all these little things are set up. And what else they set up was that Nicolas Cage has sort of this dog sculpture in his living room where he keeps a gun and a stash of his money so it's very fun when the guy's like go get your money and and nick cage is like all right i'll go get it and then he's like no no let the girl go right the girl get it and you know that she knows that there's a gun in there so it's like like she's gonna take him out they're gonna be safe the truth will be revealed we were playing you the whole time but it doesn't exactly play out that way I love that dog statue for so many reasons. First of all, every time you take its head off, it has a little bark, which I just love. Like, it's such a nice little touch, and you hear it. They open it a couple times. The cage opens it early in the movie. Angela opens it, and she's like, oh, like I know it's in here now. You hear off screen, you hear a little dog bark, and you know that she's in there getting the money, getting the gun. The other thing that I really like about it is that this movie, in terms of filmmaking has like the frantic editing, but I don't think the shots are necessarily that unique. But in this dog, we get shots of both Angela and Cage at the very end looking into the dog and sort of like at the barrel of a gun. There's, I think, a really memorable shot in Magnolia that's the same kind of shot. And this came, and Magnolia was a couple years before. I don't know if this is like a nice little nod to Paul Thomas Anderson. It's just like a cool little unique perspective, almost like we're the dog looking out at these people looking in on the dog. Most of this film seems to just be shot very naturally, and like we said earlier, most of the style seems to come from the editing. It is cool, and it stands out, and it's very interesting, and it's nice to get a shot that is supposed to invoke some kind of meaning or feeling or emotion, because most of the time it's just, not that it's bad, it's just kind of plain and simple. They're just trying to tell this story, you know, Ridley Scott isn't going all crazy with the camera necessarily, you know, it's just much more in the in the editing with this film, so. So, yeah, I agree. Those, those are some cool shots. And so Angela comes out with the gun, and this is where everything, at least in Cage's world, goes to hell. That he had just told Sam Rockwell he's out of the con artist game, 
like you were saying, he's going to get joint custody. He's going to be a father to Angela. Doesn't matter what he does, as long as he has her, that's all that matters. Angela comes out, and she shoots him, and Sam Rockwell says, hey, he's not going to make it. Let me take Angela. I'll get out of here. And Cage, is, he goes to leave, and then he gets knocked out. He awakens in this hospital. In the span of, like, you know, five or ten minutes on the screen, he goes from having this bright future with his daughter. They're starting to love each other. They're sort of, they have this great father-daughter bond. And now, all of a sudden, the mark is back. He wants Cage. He wants half of all his money. Everything goes from, like, the best it could possibly be in the brightest future to Cage having nothing almost immediately. Yeah, I think what helps make it work so well is that he's so caught off guard. I mean, it's like he's getting hit by a metaphorical truck instead of an actual truck, you know, like uh, like our friend in Sunny. I remember when Henry was like, ah, everything's coming up, Henry. And then he pulls out of the parking lot and gets hit by a truck. And that's kind of like what's happening to Roy. He's like, ah, oh, I got my daughter. Everything's great. And then he comes home to this confrontation. The plan might have been, let's get him built up to such like a good high that when he comes home, it'll be such like a drastic low for him that he'll have no idea like what's going on he'll sort of be in that panic mode you know where everything's happening so fast everything will feel real even if it's like hyper real it's just really cool the way that they're playing him and then when she came out with the gun right before she shot i yelled out in my room i yelled it's a blank but i don't know when she made the switch or when they decided to incorporate the whole gun plan or anything that was the one moment right at the end where i was like okay he's in on it too the guy from the (laughs) airport and then when he's like you take her and go and go it's very crazy because he's gonna give her the money anyway for like survival's sake he's like you know i'm gonna get in touch with you i'll set you up you go out you get safe and it's like he said in the beginning it's like you don't rob these people you get them to give you everything you know themselves and like that's exactly what's happening here and it's coming out of his mouth and he can't pick up on it he he won't he won't ever pick up on it until it's too late like you were saying earlier, he's just kind of got blinders on that. He's so blinded by this new possibility, this new way that his life could go, that it doesn't matter that he's not thinking clearly. And so that's what makes him wind up in a hospital with two detectives saying, hey, we know about everything. We're looking for Angela or we're looking for the money. We're looking for whatever. He's so blindsided by this twist of fate. He still doesn't know at this point that it's a con like he just thinks that time eventually caught up to him you know as a con artist i guess you sort of always probably know that at any moment the cops could come to get you and it feels like at this point he's just sort of like my number's been called time is up we've had a good run all i want to make sure is that my daughter is safe when he woke up in the hospital i was sort of of the impression that the whole jig was up sam rockwell got away with the money and and the girl and they were in on it and that was the end of it and now he's left to deal with the mess you know he not only they're going to wipe him out but he's going to be arrested for murder and go to jail and all that kind of stuff too even if there's no body and he he doesn't know that how much worse can it get he wants to talk to his shrink right he's like we want information on the girl where is she where could she be and he's like i'll just tell my my psychiatrist so get him in here and his plan is like you know i'm gonna tell you my security code to my bank so that you could give it to my daughter so that she can take my money and go live a life of freedom somewhere safe it turns out that that was the whole con all along right was to get the security code to his safety deposit box where he keeps upwards to a million dollars of his life savings. As a viewer, if you hadn't really caught on at this point yet, you're sort of going back and you're thinking about how Angela was in the bank and knows where the safety deposit box is. Again, like he hasn't been thinking clearly and these things that he should do by himself or that he tries to do by himself and then she just sort of pops up, he should tell her to go away, 
but he is kind of the architect of his own demise. The only person to blame for him being here really is himself, that if he was thinking more clearly, he could see maybe that Sam Rockwell was trying to play him. Obviously, the, the, the person to blame here is Sam Rockwell, but like Cage isn't necessarily... He also kind of has to blame himself. The whole thing I was thinking of now was in the very beginning, when he first goes to the doctor, he's like, yeah, I got an ex-wife. And he's like, maybe you should call her, find out if you have a kid. And he's like, will you call her for me? If only he was able to make that phone call, none of this would have really happened, or at least not in this way. You know, Sam Rockwell would have had to alter his plans or couldn't, it had to be something totally different. But that's sort of like incredible is that like, if he had just made it through that phone call, he would have known the truth. What's even crazier is that at the end, end of the movie he ends up showing up at his ex-wife's house you know to see if angela was real or not to get closure that he actually needed he's he's actually grown to the point where he can go and and do it himself and accept whatever the truth will be the room starts getting really hot and he wants them to turn the air conditioning down and he goes outside and it's basically a ghost town that they got the information they need they're out that the detectives whoever else was there they're all in on the con And he's just, like, on top of a roof somewhere in Los Angeles. I don't know where he is, but Sam Rockwell sort of built this little pop-up shop. The first thing Cage does is he he goes to Angela's mother's house. He goes to his ex-wife Heather's house. And he hasn't seen this woman in 14 years. He's like, where is she? And she's like, who who are you talking about? She's not here, is she? What? Angela. Who? What? Roy, what are you talking about? The baby. You were gonna have a baby. That's that's why you're here. You you were pregnant. You were pregnant. You were you were pregnant. I lost it. And this is when he realizes that oh, like do I don't know what is going on. But like it's also the moment where he sort of gains freedom that he finally confronts his past. He finally is able to talk to his ex-wife. He's finally able to find out once and for all that he's not a father. And he's sort of cleared of all this guilt and responsibility that he's been feeling for the last 14 years. It's like the veil has been lifted. He's gotten to the bottom of his problems, right? Like, he's got the truth now, once and for all, finally. And it's crushing, but it's freeing. And it's like this moment of a new beginning, in a way, for him. You know, he, in a way, he just got, he just learned the best lesson of all, right? Like, the way that he was sort of taken advantage of and the way that he took advantage of people and then how he opened up, that led him to realize, you know, the type of person he really wanted to be. And- he finally becomes the person that he knows he can become, or he's freed of responsibility, And that's kind of where the story ends. And then we cut to a year later, and Cage is now a carpet salesman, probably a job that he would never, ever in a million years think about possibly working when he was a con artist. That he would probably rather die in terms of that life than work this lowly, menial job. But he seems, I think you were saying earlier, he seems perfectly content with his new job. This is just sort of all he needs, that he just wants to make an honest living now, He's sort of a new man. Who shows up but Fran Kranz, the stoner from Cabin in the Woods, shows up, ready to buy a carpet, and he's like, oh yeah, my girlfriend's around here somewhere. Turns out it's Angela. And so it's like a year has gone by. He hasn't seen Sam Rockwell. He hasn't seen Angela. And now he's able to get a little bit of closure. I don't even know necessarily that he needs closure, 
but it sort of gives her closure that she kind of feels guilty and they're they're both kind of like that was kind of shitty right but like we're we're okay now right yeah i i get the sense that he accepts everything that's happened and has moved on and built a new life for himself and then when he sees her i'm thinking oh man like he's gonna start ticking and everything's gonna crumble and his rush is gonna come back to him but no he like he's like so calm and cool and basically just kind of stares at her until she makes an excuse for her boyfriend to like go to the car to find her wallet (laughs) so that they could have a conversation i don't want to say grateful but like he's not mad at her he feels like he got something out of this experience he's where he would rather be right now and if he never met her that would never have happened if he had never gone through this experience he wouldn't be in the place that he'd want to be he didn't even know where he necessarily wanted to be at that time and her too right like you learn how she sort of got taken a little bit by sam rockwell for her half of the money it was her one and only time that she did anything like that she's not a real con artist and i'm almost wondering are they going to team up again like is this movie going to end with them sort of exchanging numbers and saying like one day let's try that again or something and it almost does it ends in this really sweet way where they sort of acknowledge each other as as father and daughter. When she's leaving the store, she says, bye, Dad. And he just sort of, sort of smiles and watches. It's almost like a proud parent moment that yeah. like he, he sees his daughter all grown up. A year ago, she was this 14-year-old, and now she's this 22-year-old woman living in an apartment with a boyfriend. Like, the ultimate flash forward, but he didn't see her become 14. He didn't see her become 22. In a weird kind of way, he helped shape her into the woman that she is, even though it wasn't necessarily as a father. And also, on the reverse... She helped shape him into the man he is because it was through her presence and through the confidence that she gave him that he was able to start talking to that grocery store woman. The final shot of the movie is him with the grocery store woman cooking dinner in the kitchen, and he goes down to like feel and listen to her very pregnant belly. Things have worked out for him that he might not have the job, he might not have the financial resources that he once had, but he has happiness and he has contentness. The bad stuff in his life has been flushed away and it's been basically just replaced with pure happiness. Yeah, and once again, it was the doctor's advice. He's like, it's not your neuroses, man. He's like, that's easy. It's your line of work, you know? He's like, I guarantee if you just stop being a con artist and get like a nine to five, everything will be better. And what do you know? He he was pretty much right. He didn't exactly say you're going to have to go through like this soul-crushing experience first or anything like that. I'm happy for the character, you know? I'm, it's great to see that his life is together. And I like the one year later in this regard, too. I mean, like, we have sort of a history of Cage movies ending on a strange note and this could have ended on a much different note i just didn't want to leave him in that place you know i didn't want the movie to end with him at the bottom like that i just feel it's more realistic to cut to a year later for his character you know with everything that he had gone through and i like how they wrap it up so now what's kind of interesting is that in the book the major con at the end of the movie is in the novel but it was left out of the first drafts of the script because they thought that audiences wouldn't be happy about the fact that this guy that they've been rooting for for two hours suddenly loses everything in the end. Instead of taking it out, they left it in and they just added that closure scene, that final scene between him and the grocery store woman. I don't think that's in the novel. It's sort of the Hollywood happy ending, but it makes sense. Like, it fits within the story that they've been telling. 
It fits in terms of the evolution of Cage's character. It fits in terms of the story. That's so strange. That uh, so it's sort of like I was saying at the beginning of the movie, like she wasn't going to be in on it. Like it wasn't going to be. A, is that the con that they were going to leave out? Like the reveal that they conned him. I don't know how the movie was originally supposed to end. I can't imagine the movie really ending any other way. I could see it ending in terms of a depressing movie if it was more of an indie movie than like a Ridley Scott movie. I can see them ending without that final coda, without giving him a little bit of happy closure. I just don't know how it would have ended in terms of, maybe it's like we were talking about, that he just, maybe she tells him Sam Rockwell is conning him and they live happily. I don't don't know. I don't know what that movie would have been. It wouldn't have been as good as this movie. I'm glad they kept it in. (laughs) (laughs) Me too. There were a couple of cage connections that I wanted to point out, little tiny things. We mentioned it earlier that when they're at the house, the elderly couple's house in the beginning of the movie, and they open the door and he kind of freaks out, he sort of, like, can't deal with sunlight. And I was just thinking about Peter Lowe, <laughs> yep. that they both, neither of them can sort of appreciate direct sunlight. And the other thing was that this is the third movie in Cage Club, after Amos and Andrew and The Rock, that Beyond the Sea plays. You wouldn't even think, if you just watch all these movies individually, that there's songs you would hear in different movies. But, you know, watching them all in the span of a couple months... It just shows up time and again. They definitely earned their spot on the official Cage Club soundtrack. Yes, very much so. Along with that one song from Bringing Out the Dead that Tobin loved. <laughs> Whatever song <laughs> oh, that was. R.E.M. song, I believe. Yes. <laughs> that's all I have to say about Matchstick Man. Is there anything else that you want to cover? I believe that's all. For all things Cage Club, you can go to cageclub.me. You can read our reviews for this movie. You can find past reviews and past podcasts. Learn about following us on Twitter. Rating, reviewing, subscribing on iTunes, all sorts of fun stuff. All things Nick Cage at cageclub.me. I'm Joey Lewandowski. And I'm Mike Manzi. And we'll see you next time on Cage Club. Stands on golden sands And watches the ships That go sailing Somewhere Beyond the sea She's there watching for me If I could fly like birds on high Then straight to her arms